Good morning, church. How is the family of God this morning? Good. If you have uh, been joining us with uh, fasting and prayer, congratulations. You have a, a week behind you. We're on day seven. Hallelujah. Um, if uh, you've been connecting, we have prayer points on social media. We also have them on our website. Uh, so they've been putting out prayer points every day. But all of them are on the website if you're wanting to see all of them at once. So those are on there. But we encourage you to also make sure that you're taking time to write down your own prayer points for your family. We can't do that for you. You have to do that part. <laughs> so dig into the word. What is it that you're believing for uh, over these next uh, few months in this year? What is it that, that you need God to intervene, intervene in with his power, with his might? Because, you know, when we've done everything, everything we can do. We've got to have God in our situations. So we, we have to stand on his principles, on his word. So attach the word of God with your situation and you'll see the hand of God in your life and pray. Pray with boldness. Come into the throne room with boldness. That's what he tells us to do. So, so don't think that he doesn't want to help your situation because he does. And, you know, this year, um, I, it, it's, it's interesting because at the beginning of every year, it's almost like this reset button that everybody's like, okay, this year's going to be so much better than last year, <laughs> you know, and, and we really determine that. We determine that. And I think sometimes we're so um, easy to place all the onus back on God and, and think, God's going to do mighty things. And we've got to remember that it takes us being actively involved. Just like Minister Lee Howe said, obedience, obedience. You know, so that is so much of what he requires is our obedience. And when we're obedient, then he comes through. Everything in the word of God goes back to obedience, to diligently listen for his voice and be obedient to his word. And then the light of God comes in and shines into our situation. And I really want to uh, begin to, to hit some of those things this morning. So this morning, I want to start out in uh, 1 Samuel. In fact, we'll probably stay in 1 Samuel uh, the whole time. 1 Samuel 16. And we're going to be talking about the anointing this morning. How, how do I increase the anointing in my life? How do I in increase the anointing in my life? Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you how you even set David as an example for us this, even this morning as we dig into this. I pray, Father, that there would just be a new light showing into our hearts, that you would uh, anoint me to speak this out. Anoint the words, Father, that are coming from the scriptures. We know that your word always comes back producing what it was sent to do. So we thank you for that. And we, we call those things forth out of people's lives, that every heart would be ready to receive tilled up, ready to receive the seed of the word of God into their life. And I thank you, Father, for the fruit that is coming as a result. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I want to start out with uh, 
what is the anointing? What is the anointing? Because I think some things can be a, a little misunderstood when it comes to the anointing because many times we'll, we'll only associate that word with somebody in the pulpit, with a man of God, a woman of God, and we'll say only that person can be anointed by God or only uh, through that person does the anointing flow, but that's not a true statement. In fact, you see even David in David's life, which we'll go through, he was not ministering from a pulpit. He was not a teacher of the word of God. From his young life, he was anointed from, the, from about the age of 15. So he, was, he, he hadn't taken, he was a shepherd. He was shepherding sheep. And he was anointed. God called Samuel to anoint him. And we see his life uh, growing greater and greater as he began to step into uh, greater positions and greater levels. And we see him going from, from place to place. And each one of these places had challenges that he had to uh, face and, and had to take on. But he always went back to God. He always went back to uh, the, the place where he knew his security was, where he knew the power was, where he knew his, his uh, roots were. And so we've got to take this, this passage because David did a lot of things right, and which is really awesome because we can see the example set before us. But sometimes it also benefits us to look and say, what if David didn't do that? What would have happened? We have to kind of flip the situation to, to get an understanding sometimes. What if David didn't do that? The story wouldn't have been the same. This would have happened. The, the giant wouldn't have been defeated. They would have been overtaken because those things can also speak to us and, and show us what can happen in our life if we don't take the same stance that David took and be, have the same courage and boldness and the same tenacity and the, and the same place with the Lord. And so we can, we can take both examples and learn uh, a great deal by just sitting there and meditating on that word. Um, David, David wasn't, like I said, he wasn't uh, standing in a position of, of ministering from behind a pulpit, but he was shepherding. He killed giants. He killed animals. Uh, he killed lions and, and bears, and, and he killed uh, the giant that came against Judah, that came against Israel. He also was a king. He also was a commander of armies. Those, those aren't positions many times that we look at and say, oh, he is an anointed commander. He is an anointed lion slayer. <laughs> you know, we don't look at that and say, that man is anointed. You see what I'm saying? So we have to be careful that we're not labeling or boxing in the anointing. Because many times people can, can um, think, well, well, it's only that position that's anointed. And, and even though God, and it, what happens in the mind is, is you can downplay your own position or calling that God has called you to and feel guilty about it. And I want to free people's minds this morning into understanding that what God has called you to do, he has anointed you to do that work. It's not about comparing and it's not about uh, every person being placed in the same position and everybody looking the same. Because if everybody looked the same, there would be a lot of gaps in the body of Christ. You see what I'm saying? Because if everybody's in the same position, if everybody's standing up here, then there's no one to minister to the children in the morning. You see what I'm saying? 
If everybody's, if everybody's in a pulpit ministry, or everybody's an evangelist, or everybody's an apostle, then there's no one to reach the one. My, my mom is anointed to reach the one. She is great at, she'll give downloads, or she'll just feel in her spirit, go talk to this person. Or uh, the Lord will drop a name in her spirit, and she just feels like, I need to go across town. I need to go knock on that person's door, and I need to ask them if they're saved. I need to, to have a conversation with them and see if they'll allow me to pray with them. And, and the Lord will lead her that way. And so many times people can, can look at that and go like, well, that's, that's, you know, that's, not, that's not a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal because that's someone's eternity. That's someone's eternity, and they weren't going to be found in church. And someone went after him. Someone went after the, the one, the lost. So that's anointed. That's an anointing. So let's get into this this morning. I'm, I'm excited about this word. But 16, verse 1, we're going to read uh, 1 through 13. 1 through 13. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. See, even Samuel dealt with some fear. You know, the prophet Samuel, how, if I go, the king is going to come after my head. He's going to come after me. Sometimes we've got to put up ourselves in a position of, of humanity because he was human. You know, he's got this thought coming in. If I, if I go and anoint someone else's king, think about that. I, that's like treason. If I go and anoint someone else's king, he's going he's gonna to come after me and he's going to want to cut my head off, get rid of me, death to me. But God says, take if Saul hears of it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now get that. He consecrated. He didn't go to Jesse's house. He invited them to a sacrifice. Get that? He invited them to a sacrifice. So he's, he consecrated Jesse and the sons, and he, he invited them. Now it's interesting because... As you go down through, we'll get to it. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? 
And then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Now, this is interesting. What did I say at first? I said, Samuel was providing a sacrifice to the Lord, and he invited Jesse and his boys to come and consecrated them, and they, they left David behind. They didn't even bring him. We get this image sometimes that, that God went to his house. You know, and, and just David just didn't happen to be there. And, you know, he was, he was out in the, in the field watching the sheep. They didn't even bring David. They didn't even bring him. They were like, eh, David's not going to be it. There's no reason for David to go. He's the least of the least. He's the smallest one. He's the youngest. He's the one that, that, that he's not going to uh, amount to any, any type of leader or kingship or, or noble position. It's better off if we just leave him at home. That way I don't have to find somebody else to watch the sheep. He can, he can babysit, whatever it is. And so they leave him at home. But did that stop God from locating David? No. And that's why we don't have to worry about when we're doing what God has called us to do, when we're in his presence, because guess what? That's what David was doing. He was going after the heart of God, because that's what the Bible says. I have found, from, I have found for me a man after my own heart, a man after my own heart. And he said, Eliab, no, that's not him. He looks the part. He looks great. He looks like he could be in that position, and he has the stature for it. He looks like he's got the leadership. He's the firstborn. He's got the title. But God said, no. I've located another one. Why? Because his heart has called out for me. He has drawn near to me. He has been in my presence, and when he's in my presence, that's what I draw near towards. I, as you draw near to me, then I draw near to you. So your spirit, your heart can draw the presence of God. Your spirit, your heart can draw the anointing of God. And for, in fact, that's the first point I want you to write down as you're taking notes this morning. The first thing that draws the anointing of God is the heart of a person. The heart of a person. When we're talking about increasing the anointing, many times people want the power. Because that's what, that's what you know, the anointing often refers to, is the power of God. But it's the, it's the heart is what magnetizes or brings, um, is magnetic for the anointing. It draws the anointing, his presence. His presence is the glory of God. We should be striving for his presence, his presence, because in his presence, we'll begin to know him. We'll begin to know his nature. So that's what David was doing. He was getting to know God. He was loving God. He was praising God. He was, he was enjoying his presence, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he's out there, he's worshiping, he's watching the sheep, he's being diligent with his duties, he's making sure that no sheep gets lost, he's making sure that no enemy comes in, he's doing his job well, and he's even putting his life on the line, and he's stepping in front of, of those sheep and taking on the lion, taking on the bear. I'm not allowing one thing to take a sheep out of my flock because I care for them. 
Now that takes guts. It's a sheep. It's an animal. Most people would say, uh, I'm going to step aside. Go ahead and take one, you know, just one. We can, we can miss one. But he doesn't. He is diligent in his duty, and his boldness and his courage was found in the field, which is the presence of God, the presence of God. He, he gained his courage there. He gained his boldness. It's not a boldness in him. It's a boldness in who God is. God has given me this, this, this calling, this duty. This is where I'm at right now. You know, think about it. Him being the youngest, he probably thought, you know, this, this may be it. This may be my, my calling for a very long time because I'm the youngest one. There's no more babies coming up. There's, there's no more kids. There's no more brothers. I may have this job for a long time. I may be the one watching sheep. But he did it with everything in them, everything in him. And so he, he gets to, he gets to uh, the last one, and he's like, is, is there not any other ones? And yes, there's David. They bring him in. So verse 12, and it says, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Samuel took that, that horn of oil and anointed him. He found the one. God showed him the one. This is the one. Anoint him. He's the one. He's the one that my heart, my heart has been touched by his heart because he's been seeking me. Anoint that one. Because the problem is, the whole reason this is happening, remember, is because Saul was not a man after God's own heart. Saul had gotten to the place after, after so many years of being in king, kingship. He had been anointed for the position. He had the title for the position, but he was not a man after God's heart. So he's doing the position, but he's doing it out of fear of pleasing people. So he, he begins to make decisions based on fear because he was supposed to wait until a, a, the, the prophet came before he offered a sacrifice. And he, he got a little antsy. Uh, the prophet's not here yet. The prophet's not here yet. You know, when he's going to show up? He said he was going to show up today. And Samuel's whatever, taking his time, you know, whatever it may be because it's today. It's still today. You know, and, and so the king says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do it because the men are starting to leave. The men are starting to, to, to uh, discredit me. The men are starting to talk about me. They're starting to not trust me. And here's the thing. The anointing comes through when we walk in the trust and the favor of God. And so now he's, he's, what he's depending on is upon his own, his own uh, confidence, his own doings. And so he thinks he can reap this glory for himself by walking in his own understanding and not the Lord's understanding. And so he says, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and make the sacrifice. So he sacrifices, and, and then Samuel shows up. Man, that one hour was a pivotal point. That two hours, however long it took, whatever it was, 20 minutes, who knows, I bet, I, bet, I bet Saul was, like, really kicking himself in the butt after that. Man, 20 minutes, and then he showed up. Should have waited. <laughs> but that's the whole reason that he was being 
removed from his position. Now, he still stayed in it physically for a time. In fact, he stayed there for another 15 years. But David is the one that's anointed for the position. You hear me? David is the one that's anointed for the position, but he doesn't step right into that position yet because there's some things that have to take place first. So David's anointed at age uh, 15, around 15, and we find that, that you know, his heart is, in, is after the Lord. He goes back to the, the fields. He's not after titles. He's not after accolades. He's not after fame. He's not after uh, the, the position. He goes back to the field, doesn't he? And he, his heart is to know God. All right, let's go on from the story there. So the first thing that draws the anointing of God is the heart, the heart of a person, whether or not they desire God above all else. Verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand, and when the, when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, you shall be made well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have been, sorry, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. He's young, but he's already, look at what he's developing. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Therefore, Saul sent the messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and his young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him and loved him greatly, and be he became his armor bearer. Let me go ahead and read the rest of it. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take the harp and play it, with his hand, and then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Now, the, this next phase that we see with David, we see that God has located him. God has anointed him, but he's back out in the field. But what's interesting is the, the anointing opens doors. The anointing opens doors, but we must take it. We must walk through that door. Because think about it. David could have sat in the field and he could have said, what? No, I'm anointed as king. They anointed me as king, not a harp player. This is what I'm an anointed to do, king. So come back whenever you've got a king seat for me. <laughs> but God had some things for David to learn. And so God, God opens this door for David, right into the court of the king, right into the court of the king and his son, Jonathan, who becomes his best friend. And so David goes and he's, he's in the court, he's playing, and, and he's anointed to play. 
And this spirit lifts off of Saul. And isn't it interesting that once Saul was anointed for this position, but now he's, he's got this distressing spirit because he chose to walk out of the will of God. So now he's seeking the anointing the, of a 15-year-old boy out in a field that's been anointed because he's been in the presence of God and he has sought God with all his heart. And so now this 15-year-old this kid is coming in, or 16 or 17, however, however old he is at this point, and he's playing the harp, and he's singing, but he's not just singing, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, all right, let's all wave our hands. No, he's singing from an anointed place. He's singing with his heart and what God has deposited in him. If you read through the Psalms, you can see that David spent time writing songs throughout his life. It wasn't just this little period of time when, when he said, well, you know, when I was young, I wrote songs. No, he developed this over his life. There were songs about when he was king and, and things that he faced. There were songs when he was dealing with Saul that, that he sung about. There were many songs that he wrote, and he sung from a place of his heart, and he wasn't singing. Here's the thing. See, Saul was distressed, and, and I'm sure David, in the anointing, saw that. I'm sure he could see the difference. But here's the thing. David wasn't singing to Saul. David was singing to God. And as a result, that's what made it anointed. So he had to keep his eyes off of Saul. Saul could probably, if you've ever led praise and worship, I know I haven't, but the praise and worship leaders have a, have a challenge sometimes because they can stand up here and, and they can sing and, and begin to, okay, guys, let's clap our hands or let's do this. Let's usher in the presence of God. And, and there can be people who just have the, the scowl on their face and they're like, I refuse. I'm not doing that. And, and they have this challenge of a, of a <laughs> person that's just like, I'm not moving. You know, and you think about it. Saul had a distressing spirit. He's grumpy. He's depressed. He's not in the mood. And so if he looked at that to determine how well he played, he would probably would have shrunk back. Well, Saul's not feeling it yet. Saul's not, he's not being moved yet. But he didn't. He looked at God. He sung to God from his heart. He sung his worship to the Lord. That's what brought the anointing. So every position that we're in, everything that we're doing, we've got to do it as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter if we're mowing the lawn, if we're cleaning toilets, if we're teaching kids, if we're, if we're serving in, in the community somehow, if we're in a nursing home, a hospital, in the oil fields, it doesn't matter. We do it as unto the Lord. And if we do that, then the anointing flows. God seeks us out. He locates us because we're not basing our work upon man and man's response to us. Well, I'll work hard when the owner's around. I'll work hard when this person's around, when they see me, because I only give eye service. But instead, I work unto the Lord because his eye is upon me all the time, all the time. So I work unto the Lord. 
I work unto the Lord. It doesn't matter that my boss is not here. I work unto the Lord because my Lord will locate me. I don't need my boss to locate me because the Lord, when the Lord locates me, it's not going to matter. The boss will find out what he needs to find out in order to promote me. A door will open somehow. That's not my concern. My concern is to position myself to please my Lord to please my master. In fact, the thought came to me a little bit ago that God is more concerned about the vessel than he is the title. He's more concerned about the vessel, which is you, okay? That's, you're the vessel, than the title. He's not sitting there going, oh, I wish they'd hurry up and get there. No, he's going, I want them to figure this out because I want them to walk in freedom. I want them to to be molded here because I want them to walk in liberty and to be healed and to be whole. As a result, then we become more useful. We become like the pieces of gold in in the master's uh, utensil cabinet that he can pull out at those times to be able to bring refreshing to others and to be able to be used in a noble way. But he's more concerned about you than he is about you hurrying up and getting there. He wants you to get there, yes, because he wants you to impact people. But if we resist the process, what happens? If, we're, if, our eyes are, if David's eyes would have so been on the, the position, when is Saul going to die so I can take kingship? When is this guy going to get out of the way? How is this going to happen? And he's running around and he's going, oh, Do you guys know that Saul said this, he did this, and he's trying to turn all of Saul's servants against him? Think about that. David would have never made it there. And if he would have, he wouldn't have lasted for very long because God would not have been able to be for him if he was operating against the laws of God. If he was running around trying to make it happen on his own, he would have have ended up with a lot of consequences in his life. So David was patient. He learned. He learned from his positions. The anointing opens doors, but we must take it, and we must trust God through the process. So we have to ask ourselves, am I embracing the position, or am I fighting against it? Am I fighting to get out of it instead of changing what God wants to change. Because here's the thing. David was found in the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord is the presence of the Lord. The glory is what changes man. If you look in 2 Corinthians, that's what it says, that that with unveiled faces, we are changed by the glory of the Lord. That means he changes us in his presence. But the glory is not the anointing. The glory, someone can be in the glory, but not necessarily in the anointing. Because they can be changed by the presence of God. But they're not necessarily in the anointing because the anointing is a factor or a product of the glory. So that's the thing. So many times we're, we're chasing after the anointing. Man, I have been focused a lot on this. It seems like all the messages lately have been around this. It's like 
Focusing on the presence of God. Focusing on who you are in Christ. Paying attention to who he is and not, not the place, not the thing, not the title, not the, not the, the where I'm going or, or what I'm trying to be. Just being in his presence and allowing him to change your heart, change, mold you, shape you, grow you, uproot things, plant things, and to grow in his presence. And from that place comes the product of the anointing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we can't become discontent. Let me tell you a story. There's, because this kind of reinforces the whole idea. If I don't get through all of this today, that's okay. It reinforces the idea and the understanding that the anointing is not just within the four walls of a church or just with certain titles. How many of you know Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson? Okay, he was, he was a guy that was raised up uh, in a poor situation. His, his mom couldn't even read, but he didn't know that growing up. Um, him and his brother would come home from school and they would, they would watch a lot of TV. And his mom got to a place where he, she was like, these kids are, they're wasting way too much time on the TV. And of course, this was years ago. This was way before, you know, social media, technology, and all of that. It was just a, probably a black and white TV. And so they're probably watching Tom and Jerry and things like that. But he, she's like, they're, they're watching way too much TV. So the next year, she said, guys, we're, we're, we're going to limit TV watching. When you come home from school, only two days a week, you're going you're gonna to watch TV. The other days of the week, you're going to come home and you're going to read. So I want you to fill your mind with, with understanding, with uh, intelligence, and then you're going to write a report on what you read, on the books that you read. Now, they had no idea that she couldn't read. <laughs> so they're re writing these reports and giving them to her, and, and she can't read. But she didn't tell them that. What she was nurturing in them was, was a, a love for learning, but also being able to think with their mind and their understanding and also the self-discipline that it takes to learn. And to grow. And so they did this. And so he ends up going to Yale University. He, he was accepted into Yale University. He was, um, he was going to classes, and, and he was his professor, his counselor, even told him, you're not cut out to be a doctor. And so he's, he's hearing the negative words. He's obviously not understanding the lectures. He's not understanding the classes, whatever it was, but he wasn't doing well at it. And so he goes back to his room, and, and he's a Christian. He's like... Lord, I thought you wanted me to be a doctor. And the Lord spoke to him and showed him the direction. And so he, what he heard the Lord say was, don't worry about the lectures. Go find your own books to read and gain your understanding by that. So he listened to the voice of the Lord, and he began to do that. Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, ended up being uh, a very famous, if you, if you search him out on, on social media, you'll find him very easily. There was a movie made about him. And he ended up in 1987 being able to take uh, conjoined twins that were in Germany. They were joined at the back of the head. And he knew that this situation was, 
was very risky and very dangerous because if, if he separated these twins, the loss of one of their life was very, very probable. In fact, most people, were, they, were, they were all saying it's impossible. You're going to lose one. And so he knew that was a risk, but he, he studied for like 22 months, and he studied and he studied and he's trying to research how to do this, what's the best way. And as he's studying, the Lord gives him a download, and, and it's like he, he gave him divine wisdom. See, that's what the anointing does. Even in a position out in the community, it gives you divine wisdom from heaven. The anointing is heavenly gifts placed on you to do a work that you're called to do. And so he receives this divine understanding of what he's to do. He successfully uh, went through that surgery and was able to separate the two individuals, and they both are, were, came out alive and were able to have their lives uh, separately. An amazing thing. He also came through uh, other um, brain... brain um, surgeries that that other people weren't weren't able to complete because God had given him God ordained instruction so it's not just about uh him being able to do that gave him a platform and when he had the platform he spoke out the things of God because scripture would come out of his mouth as he spoke and he would say things like if God is for you who can be against you and so he would, he would stand in his position giving glory to God. So that's the anointing is to do mighty things through you, for you to be above others around you, for you to be walking in a place that you don't look like the rest of the world and you're receiving divine understanding from heaven. You're receiving divine power from heaven because you've been in his glory. You've been in his presence. And it doesn't matter what thing that you're called to. God can use you to make you soar, and you can be an instrument for his glory. It's all for his purpose. It's all for his glory. But he wants to elevate each and every person. I want you to look at uh, chapter 17 for a second. So point number three, the anointing stays rooted and it does not bow. The anointing stays rooted, rooted, does, and does not bow. When you look at, I'm not going to read all the way through chapter 17. I'm going to read a, a couple portions of it. But we know that David comes onto the scene. He's bringing things to his brothers. And they're uh, standing. They've been standing for quite some time against the, the Philistines. They've got this giant named Goliath. And he's yelling every day, send out your best men. You know, if you win, then, then we'll be your slaves. But if we win, then you, you'll be our slaves. And so everybody's running and hiding. And uh, verse 8, let's pick up at 17, verse 8. And it says, then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine 
and you are the servants of Saul. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill you, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we, can, that we may fight together. And what's the response of the whole army? When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So they all go run and hide in their tents. They're greatly afraid. And the masses, it's the whole group. It's not like some of them are mixed. The whole group, they run and hide because of this message of the Philistine. But David comes on the scene. And it's interesting because this is what David says. In verse, let's skip down to verse 25. It says, so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that, ma that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. They already went through that you'll, you'll receive the king's daughter, you'll be exempt from taxes, all of these great things are going to happen for you. And verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? What's he doing? He's, he's demeaning him. Your job's not even that big anyways. You only have a few sheep to watch, and who did you leave them with? You're, you're running out on, on your duties. What are you doing down here? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for somebody to take this position? Is there not a reason or a cause to stand up at this time? We have an enemy against us, and no one is standing up. But remember, where's David been? He's been in the presence of God. And it says, then he turned around and toward another. See, he didn't give him time. To, he didn't sit there and, and, and talk with Eliab. He wasn't sitting there having a conversation. He said, is there not a cause? Walked away. See, God wants us to stand in the face of every defying thing that tries to push in on the territory of God. Because that's what's going on. They were trying to take territory. But God has anointed his children to push back the enemy, to conquer the land. This is our land. This is our territory. Marion County is our territory. We push back the gates of hell. We push back the enemy. We go in and save those who are lost. Because there are those, they do not know that they're lost. They're, they're seeking something. They don't know what they're seeking. It, co it comes through us. It's the only way people come to repentance is because of God and, and the children of God that choose to go out and have an impact on this world. 
So the, the anointing stays rooted. It does not bow to the enemy. It does not, well, yeah, you know, he is a lot bigger. He is like 13 foot tall, you know. He is really big. And I know you guys are all seeing that, and I see that too. I should probably just go ahead and go back home. No, he's been in the presence of God. He's been getting his marching orders from the Lord, not from Saul. In fact, it said that Eliab and the oldest, the oldest brothers went and followed Saul. But David was following God's word, not Saul's word. He was following God's word. And so when he saw something that was defying God, he said, what are we afraid of? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this guy that has no covenant with God? Why are you guys afraid? We've got a covenant with God. That's what he said. We've got a covenant with God. That means we are in covenant with him. They're not in covenant. He has nothing to do with them. He has everything to do with us, but it takes boldness and courage. See, God wasn't stepping in through fear. Yeah, I see you guys are afraid and, and you can't handle it, so I'm going to go ahead and step in. No, he wants his children to be bold. He wants his children to be like him. He wants them to be bold like a lion. So there's a line that gets drawn in the sand that says no, which is another thing. Write that down. You have to backtalk the enemy. You cannot, you cannot reason with the enemy. This is when you're allowed to backtalk. I am allowed to backtalk the enemy. <laughs> you have to. Because anything that you tolerate, you give dominion in your life. Anything that you allow, think of it this way. If your three-year-old comes up to you and, and you tell them to do something, you say, no, you can't have a cookie right now. You can't have this right now. And they say, no. And then you just stand there and go, well, what am I going to do about that? And I don't say anything. Well, I don't agree with it. But, and, and then the kid just goes and gets what he wants. Because you don't, you don't draw the line. You don't stand and, and say, no, that's not how it happens here. This is what we're going to do. You're not going to get a cookie right now. You're going to wait until after dinner. And if you say no again and throw a fit again, you will not get one after dinner either, okay? Love you. But you have to obey. Discipline with love. But the enemy is not someone that we discipline with love. The enemy is one that you have to tell no. You're not coming across this line. I have a covenant with God. You are not allowed here. And just because the enemy sits there and puts his toe in does not mean you back up. Just because he tries does not mean you back up and say, well, he tried. He, he got his toe in again. You say no again. I said no. In the name of Jesus, back off. You have no right here. I'm being forceful because that's how you have to be. This is your life. This is your family. This is your future you're dealing with. And if you tolerate anything from the enemy, he'll take it. He'll take that ground. He'll steal it. He is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So you can't play around with the enemy. You have to be forceful. 
because it's the violent that take it by force. If we're going to receive the, the, the promises of heaven, the benefits of heaven, we take it by aggression. We take it by force. We take it with a, a violent spirit. And I'm not saying violence as in, as in the enemy's type of violence, but we are violent towards hell. Because we have a responsibility to our county, to our children, to our families, to our husbands, our wives, to our nation, to any area that you are over. You have a responsibility to that area. Hallelujah. So the anointing stays rooted. You're immovable. I'm not moving. I'm not moving from this place. You're moving out, devil. I'm not moving. Think about it. Did you ever hear stories in, in the word of God where, where God said, well, you know, they're just, they're just not uh, bold enough yet. I'm just going to go down and move on their behalf. They're just not strong enough yet. I'm going to go down and move on their behalf. They're, they're running, and I can see that they're very afraid. I'm going to go move on their behalf. I'm going to step it. No, it's always through faith. It's always through courage. It's always through boldness because this is who our God is and this is what he's given to us. We are taking the land. It's never through fear. So we have to be anointed to be bold, to be courageous, to be strong. And it's not in our own strength. It has nothing to do with your physical strength. Nothing to do with your physical strength. Because think about it. If it's dependent upon our, our physical strength, we would, uh, we would be up and down every day. You know what I'm saying? You take, you take some that have been, you know, with us through this fast for seven days. They're, they're physically not feeling, you know, like they're ready to go out to battle. But in the spirit, there, there is a depth in the spirit that, that causes you to grow strong in the spirit, that causes you to, to rise up and take your place because that's what matters is the spiritual realm, not the physical. Because what you get done in the spiritual realm manifests into the physical. Are you guys with me this morning? So he stayed true to the word and to the covenant of God, to the word and to the covenant of God, to the word and the covenant of God. That means if God gives you a word, then you got to stand by it. And if the enemy comes in and tries to, to threaten it, you still stand by it. You declare what God is giving you. You don't, you don't shrink back and say, well, the enemy, he just he found an open door. No, you, you fix whatever needs fixed, and you slam that door, and you tell him to get out. That You don't back up. You do not shrink back. Daniel, he did not back up. Think about it. There's a, a king that's got a decree. The whole law of the land changes. Hmm. Think about that. What times are, are we stepping into right now? The whole law of the land changes. We are not living in much different times. And he says, I still choose three times a day to go up and pray to my God. My lifestyle is not changing. I am not changing my walk with God to please you. Even though I respect you, O king, my obedience to God comes first. That's what has to happen in our nation right now. My obedience to God comes first. 
You're not shutting the church down because you're not over the church government. I don't care what political figure it is. They are not head of the church. But it takes the church body to stand and say no. Because God's not going to come down and say, oh, no, don't touch my children. He comes through faith, and he will be bold as they are bold. He will, be, he, he will stand and protect his children, just like in the lion's den. He will shut the mouth of the lions. He will cause angelic hosts to come down and surround us as we do what? Obey his word, not run in fear. If Daniel would have ran in fear, guess what? He wouldn't have been saved. He would have, he would have just collapsed like everybody else. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and quit praying. I'm going to bow down to this idol, and I'm going to look like everybody else. There would not have been intervention. He would have not saved the kingdom, and he would have not uh, turned Nebuchadnezzar's heart towards the Lord. Things change because men and women of God choose to stand, choose to stand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same thing. Every situation through the Bible is because we choose to stand at the word and the covenant of our God. I may save the last couple points for another time. Minister Lee, how can you come to the keyboard, please? I don't know your situation. I don't know where the enemy has been challenging you and where God has been telling you to stand strong, where God has been giving you a word, and he will speak to you. He will speak in your spirit. You'll know in your spirit that, that you're, you're supposed to step in a certain direction or you're not supposed to step. The anointing is there for you when you obey God, but you got to remember it's always in the obedience. The anointing comes in the obedience, not the disobedience. The anointing comes from knowing him. As we are in his presence and as we are drawing near to him, then his anointing comes. Sometimes we have to be patient, just as David was patient. He spent seven years in the palace, seven years under, under Saul and, and with Jonathan and the, the court and the men and, and was a commander over Saul's army, and he, he's leading troops. Seven years. And it's easy to look at that and say, God, when, when am I going to be in this place? When am I going to be in this place that you anointed me for? But David had some things that he still had to learn. David had to be molded. There were some tests David had to go through. But in the end, it made him stronger. In the end, he came out stronger. And he came out as a product that did not fail like Saul did. And that's the thing. Many times we don't see the end because we can see what happened to Saul Saul quit pursuing God 
He was given fame, title, early, and he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for the position. He wasn't ready for that placement. And as a result, he failed. The whole thing was stripped from him. That's not a way to end life. The end of his life was was not a pretty picture. But David lived his years out in kingship. An old man. Sometimes we have to be patient and trust the Lord's process and pursue his pursue his his presence, his glory. And then allow the product of the anointing to come out of that place.